0: Welcome to the fight with Teddy Atlas. I'm Ken Rideout, joined as always by the great Teddy Atlas. We're still in quarantine. Teddy's still in Staten Island. I'm in Los Angeles. Today's episode is brought to you again by Teddy's audiobook. Check it out on audible.com. Atlas From the Streets to the Ring, a son's struggle to become a man. And in keeping with our theme of uh revenue-free episodes, Just want to give a quick shout out to a friend's company, Laird Hamilton and Gabby Reese. Good friends of mine in Malibu. They have a company called Laird Superfood. I love this stuff. I mix it in my coffee every morning. Again, not a paid advertisement. Just wanted to give them a quick shout out of appreciation. I love these guys. Love what they're doing. So with that... Teddy, let. Gabby Reese was the great volleyball player. That's right. She said she interviewed you once way back in the day on maybe MTV rules some MTV show or yeah.
1: Actually, yeah, it was a video. It was an MTV video we shot at Gleason's gym, where I was training fighters, and I actually trained her. Yes, for, that's it. You know, a session. She mentioned day, that, yeah. whatever you want to call it, and it was part of the video, the MTV uh, musical video actually. Yeah. And if I recollect I mean it, it it's got to be close to 30 years right yep. am I right Yep yep it's got to it's got to be 25 30 years somewhere in that neighborhood and uh yeah tall tall girl
0: and uh very nice girl Obviously a volleyball player she had to be tall Nicest people in the world real genuine Um Teddy let's have some fun today I want to talk to you about some of the greatest rounds in the history of boxing and I know you have a lot of strong opinions on this topic so with that Let's jump into it. Yeah, it'll be fun.
1: I mean, this will be a nice one. People are home, they're self-quarantining, and uh, they'll be able to, you know, have friendly arguments at home over (laughs) who they think is the best round in, in the history of boxing. And before I start, I... I want to explain this. Uh, I'm not trying to one-do you because you're wearing your Boston. <laughs> I didn't know you were going to be wearing Boston stuff. You know, you're wearing a, you're showing your pride. You're wearing your your Boston stuff. Um, but I'm not a Laker fan, and I'm not doing this in homage to you because you live in Los Angeles. <laughs> I just want to make sure. You know, not that I wouldn't. I would. I would. I'd pay homage to you, Ken. <laughs> but. I'm doing this as a tribute to the two Black Mambas that passed away in a, recently in the last month or month and a half. Kobe Bryant, of course, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the other one that's not talked about enough, and that was Roger Mayweather, a two-division world champion and the Black Mamba in the ring. Yep and a tremendous right-hand puncher, tremendous trainer. He was a trainer of Floyd Mayweather during during his formidable formidable years when he was coming up and winning world titles. Uh, And he was, was, as I said, uh, a tremendous fighter, a real good boxer, and really, really a good right-hand puncher. So remembering the two Black Mambas, I figured that I would, I saw this, you were talking about how with the quarantine going on that your wife is um, driving you crazy, but in a nice way, in a <laughs> loving way, that, that she's cleaning out the basements. So my wife, I guess wives do that. They She started saying, Teddy, get down here in the basement. I said, what, did you talk to Ken's wife? I <laughs> said, N- no, we got to clean out this basement. So I'm looking through it last night. I hate doing that stuff. I... I'm a hoarder, I guess is the name. <laughs> because I don't want to let go of nothing because everything has some sentimental value to me. I don't want to let anything go. So anyway, I'm downstairs. She's saying, throw this out. No, give me that. We're right, throw this out. No, we gotta keep that. Throw this No, gotta keep. Well what are we gonna throw out? I said, Well nothing right now. <laughs> I said, But but you know, we could look it over and stuff. So I'm looking over stuff and I found this. I don't remember Ken. It's a full sweatsuit. It's the real deal. Yeah. This is the real Los Angeles Lakers warm-up suit. I got the pants and I got the top. And as you can see, I mean it's where you you know, you pull it right off, you unbutton it, you take it right off. This is a real game ready, authentic Los Angeles Lakers warm up suit. I have no idea you know I I had fighters training years ago in California you know, different fights. And I guess we must have had some kind of situation where I know that they took us to a Laker game. I can't really put it together. (laughs) I don't know if that's a sign of bad things to come, that I can't remember such things. But I found it last night downstairs in one of the closets, and I, you know, I came up with the idea. I said, you know what, let me wear this when we're doing the five greatest rounds um in boxing, or at least my idea and thoughts of the five greatest rounds, let me wear some you know, something that can pay tribute to a couple other greats, Roger Mayweather, as I said, and and Kobe Bryant. And um I you know again when I saw it I I said, I wonder what Ken Ken's first thought is gonna be, oh He's saying something to me because it's Los Angeles.
0: (laughs) I've softened up on my stance on Los Angeles living here now. If the Patriots aren't going to win, I'm all for the Rams. I would never in a million years root for the Lakers. You'll never forget the chant of uh, the Boston fans chanting to Philadelphia, beat L.A. after Philadelphia knocked the Celtics out of the uh, playoffs one year in the 80s during the Larry Bird era. That's the only thing I can remember when I think of Boston – uh, Los Angeles rivalry. It's that chant from the Boston fans encouraging the Sixers to get out there and beat l a yeah, sure. but I love l a and I like I like living here, but I don't like the Lakers
1: like East Coast like the rap like the rappers used to yeah. have to think going yep. right the back and forth <laughs> East Coast, West coast yep. East Coast, West coast, you know so let's go into let's go into the fights the greatest rounds of all time. Obviously subjective. Yep. Uh, you know, but the ones that I've picked, I don't know, I'd be surprised if others didn't have it on their list because, and some people might be surprised. I'm an old-time guy where I love the old-time fighters, the golden years, the 20s, the 30s, the 40s, when the sport was bigger than any other sport in the country, bigger than baseball, when, you know, Jack Dempsey was Babe Ruth. Babe Ruth was Jack Dempsey. They, they were the kings back then of their sports. Uh, everybody in the country knew who they were. And those years, the golden years of boxing, you had fighters like Henry Armstrong and Harry Greb. All these, they had 300 fights. Archie Moore little later on they had 300 fights Archie Moore had like 130 knockouts can you imagine (laughs) 130 not fights knockouts and Henry Armstrong probably had about 110 and then you go back even further you had the great Sam Langford oh my god he he fought from lightweight to heavyweight he had 300 fights Uh, you had these, and they all fought each other they fought the best fight it wasn't about building a record it wasn't about getting on showtime getting on hbo getting on you know any of these uh any of any of those telecasts or any of those networks and you had to have a sparkling record no it was just about fighting the best and becoming the best and behaving like the best and proving you're the best So it didn't matter if you fought a fight and you lost a fight because you'd be fighting a week later against somebody, and you make right up for it. It's not like today where you fight once a year, twice a year, three times a year. You you fight four times a year. Oh, you're overworked. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gee, I got to go talk to my union. (laughs) You're making me fight four times? Well, go check the record of Henry Armstrong. He fought over 30 times in a year. And all ten rounders, and sometimes more. So, i I think some people might be surprised when they see my first couple of best rounds ever. They're more contemporary. They're they're of the modern era, because I don't, I I don't pick according to any any preordained favoritism. I I really don't. I I pick according to what. And I just made a full confession that I have some special place in my heart for those old-time fighters. But I have a special place for all fighters to get in the ring and do it the right way. And I'm just picking rounds as much as I love the old-timers, the rounds that move me the most, that that shook the world the most. And some of them happen in the modern era. And i have to start that one with Mickey Ward and Arturo Gaddy number one. I mean, and in the ninth round. I mean, you're talking, you're talking about a chapter in a novel. You there was a chapter in a novel. Matter of fact, th- the heck with a chapter. It was a whole damn book. In the ninth round, there was everything that you want in a great novel. Everything. Storyline, you know, uh, a, a person having it all. He's winning. And then all of a sudden, about to lose it all. On the brink, off the brink, about to go off the cliff, about to be a disaster, about to fail. And all of a sudden, the comeback in one round. The comeback in one round. Oh my God. What a, what a, I don't know when they're going to make a movie on that, but it's got to be somewhere, somewhere down the road where you make another boxing movie where somebody's got to do it around that fight. I mean, it was a trilogy in the end, but that was the one. And that ninth round, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Where, you know, one minute, one minute, Gaddy, who's a big puncher, and, you know, both of them are tough guys. Both of them are there right in front of you. You don't have to look for them. We understand that. And all of a sudden, you got, you got Ward coming back in that round and takes over, and it looks like he's going to stop Gaddy. If, uh, I think I remember the great late Emanuel Stewart saying, it's over, he's done, he's done, it's over, you know, and uh, and it was because not just the head shots, it was because of the body shots and that was Ward's forte going downstairs to the body, you know, touching you upstairs just enough real quick, boom, and then bang, bring it downstairs like a whip because he you gets your arm to move just a fraction of an inch where he can sneak in the left hook underneath to the liver and it's one thing getting hit to the head, but when you get hit in the liver, it's, I mean, it's completely, it decomposes your thoughts, your will. It deteriorates your will. And it, it's hard to, to breathe. It's hard, to, you're, you know, you're trying to talk to your legs. Your legs are saying, get the hell out of here. Don't talk to me. <laughs> I don't want to talk to you. Leave me the F alone. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and so here you are, and he gets hit that punch, that punch, that does that. Nobody recovers. Very rare human beings don't recover from that. Androids maybe, humans no. And so emmanuel Stew, the great trainer, the the great man in boxing, he's doing the broadcast on HBO with Larry Merchant, who is tremendous too, and. And he and a great writer in his own right, you know, from Philadelphia. And here he goes; he gets hit that punch, and it makes Stewart a guy who's been around, a guy who's not gonna say things too soon because he's been around. He knows it's someone else, you know, that don't know boxing. Oh yeah, oh, forget it. But (laughs) he, you know, he's more he's more seasoned than that. So for him to say he's gone he can't if i remember correctly ken he was saying he can't come back from this it's over it's over
0: a stronger fighter as ward before that body shot again that's the body shot it's the left hook to the body wards money punch and this knockdown counts and he is hurt this is it it's, it's not going to recover. it's not like a head punch he may not be able to recover I don't think so
1: and he came back. Oh, my God. Not only got... Well, I mean, he's pummeling him. Ward is pummeling... And then all of a sudden, with about 30 seconds left in the round, all of a sudden, boom, it changes. Body as if to say,
0: come on. Come on. Come on, let's
1: fight. It changes roles. All of a sudden, now... Gaddy's coming back, and he's banging him, and he's hurting him ha oh, oh, oh. i I get tired thinking about it i get i i i I mean when they walk back like they were two gladiators that just finished doing their business, swinging everything they had at each other, and then they're walking uphill, trudging back uphill, bleeding, leaking, you know just and and their chests going up and down, and they're going back uphill, back to their corners. And you, as a, as a witness in this, you're watching it, and you're doing almost what they do. You can't help it. You go, oh, <laughs> like, oh, wow, wow, like you feel it, like you, wow. Did I just see that? Yep. Did I just witness that? Did I, was I just a passenger in that car taking that that ride that they just took me on? Wow. Oh, wow. And in some ways, it reminds me of an experience, not as physical, but I was with Barry McGuigan when he was featherweight champ. I helped train him, prepare him in different ways. And I was, they brought me over to his, uh, they brought me over, flew me over to, Belfast, he used to fight in Belfast Island, you know, different parts, Dublin too, but I think it was in Belfast, and it was in King's Hall, uh, which fit probably about, I don't know, it was an old place, and, you know, old historic place, and McGuigan was the story, because he would bring, it was during the terrible times in Ireland where the Protestants and the Catholics were killing each other, and the government of, England was there, over, you know, was was there as a presence, and the, and the Irish didn't want them there. To say the least. Uh, to say the least. Yeah. And the Protestant, and, you know, you had the IRA. Uh, y- you know, you had all these things going on. You had young kids that were being obviously recruited into the IRA and recruited as assassins, you know, to, to fight against the government, to fight against uh, the government and the Protestants that were, they were in with the government uh, on that side, uh, for going along with, with them. And so you had this great divide, which was terrible. You see it in the world, you know. You see it. It's terrible. Wherever you see it, you see it in the Middle East, it's horrible. You see it in Ireland, it's horrible. You see it in our country, it's horrible. You just don't want to see it. But it's there. It's there sometimes. and um, And things have gotten better, thank God. And, and are not what they were. But back then, I'm going back 30 years, somewhere in that neighborhood, and I'm over there, and the one time, McGuigan was smart. He was Irish Catholic, but he was married to a Protestant, and it was a great story. And he used to, instead of wearing just the Irish colors or, or anything like, Usually, traditionally, the Irish fighters would wear. He wore on his trunks uh, a dove, a dove, you know, the bird of peace, mm-hmm. the dove, the O V E, and he he was for obviously representing everybody to come together, stop killing each other, and for eventually for peace. And so, when he would fight, it was a happening. When he would fight in Ireland on his way up, everybody would come together and there was a truce where they would basically agree not to kill each other on that day. That that people like Jerry Adams, if I remember correctly, he was one of the head guys in IRA. That's right. If he showed up normally outside, uh, he'd get shot in the head, mm-hmm. you know, or be a somebody looking to shoot him in the head so he couldn't just come out and he could be there and the other people on the other side could be there and everybody could be in the arena for that day gloves off hands off hands off for that day Uh, so just i'm giving this this build-up so people understand how serious it was so i'm over there with mcguigan and you know as uh I'm going to be in his corner with him. He had a trainer, but I helped advise him. I helped, uh, you know, work out certain strategies with him for when he fought Pedroza to win the title, actually, in, in London. I made a videotape, and I sent the videotape to him to of strategy and what to do for the training. And So they would bring me over, you know, for certain fights. So I'm over there. I'm over there for this fight, and... Like I said, it's at King's Hall. And I think it fit about, I'm just going to take a shot. But it's an old place, 100 years old, whatever. And it fits maybe 10,000. But there's probably, maybe it's even less. But whatever it was, there was probably 10,000 more people than was seats for. So if it fit 10,000, it was 20,000 in there <laughs> or 15,000 in there. You know, standing room. You literally, if you had a seat, somebody would be standing where your feet normally are. <laughs> I mean, that's that's how they crammed them in. And so you got all these people in there. I remember we got there early. I was with Mickey Duff. And Mickey Duff, one of the greatest promoters of all time. And Bonnie Eastwood, who recently passed away, was his promoter over there. Mickey was was involved with him, but Bonnie Eastwood and he was Bonnie Eastwood was the biggest
0: bookmaker in Northern Ireland. So you know he had a lot of connections. He had a lot of juice. And by the way, your 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 guess was pretty accurate. Seven thousand seats for a theater. Theater seating. And they had at least fifteen thousand <laughs> in in the
1: place. Yeah. And when so Eastwood was, a bookmaking was legal in Ireland, so he was a big, powerful guy. And so he's the promoter, the manager. Mickey Duff's involved. And I remember we get there early, and there's got to be 10,000 people outside that are just singing songs, kind of like a soccer, you know, Europe's different, yeah, you yeah. know, like a soccer game. They're singing songs, you know, and then you get inside, and it's cavernous. It's cold. It's Ireland. It's cold. I said it's a little chilly. Mickey Duff was the greatest, the wittiest. Oh, he was the wittiest. He he looked at me. He goes, "Uh, yeah, not not much plumbing and and centralized heating in Ireland. You're in Ireland, Teddy. (laughs) You're in Ireland. It's it's gonna be a little chilly. Yeah, You're you're not in Fort Lauderdale. You're in Ireland. You're not in Miami." So I said, yeah, Mick, I get it. So you're in there and you're in this cavernous place in this old place and and the and it, it's damp, it's cold, and we're in the dressing room, and you can hear the people starting to come in and they're singing songs. Here we go, Barry, here we go. Here we go, Barry, here we go. And it's just it's just echoing through this place. And and it's it literally gives you like chills up your spine and you're hearing it. And I remember Mickey looking at me, watching for my reaction. And he said, What do you think? I, I said, uh, Wow, it's pretty intense. You know, you, you don't normally go to a fight and you hear these songs. And, and here we go, Barry. Here we go. Bap. And Mickey, being the witty guy with the humor that he had, he looks at me and he says, He says, yeah, Teddy, the Irish, are, they're a little short on lyrics, but they're heavy on passion. <laughs> I always remember that one. little short on lyrics, but big on passion. And, and then the place starts to fill up. And here's the point. Now it's packed. And it's like you said, 7,500 capacity. There's 15,000 in there maybe, and maybe another 20,000 outside. And... You, you get time to leave the locker room and you start, your, you, know, you start your march towards the ring. You can't walk, you can't walk, you can't walk. There's almost 10,000 too many people in there. <laughs> so what they do is they have the British guard, the, the British guard, just imagine this now, with everything I just described, with what's going on in society, what's going on in the country. You got the British guard in there with their rifles. And they, they, make, they make a, a blanket like p- where they put their rifles up in the air like this, and they cross them, and they stand side, on one side, and they put their rifles together to make like a tunnel, a tunnel to the ring. And as we're walking through, people are re- reaching their hands in, in between the rifles to touch us, to try to touch us, to touch McGuigan. Can you imagine? <laughs> it's crazy. And then you finally get to the ring, and it takes probably 20 minutes. 20 minutes just to get there, to navigate your way there. And you finally get in the ring. And you get in there, and the tension, and the feel, and you, you could feel it. You know those sayings, you could feel it in there. You really could. And you get in there, and then what? What happens then? Pat McGuigan, his father, is a well-known pub singer a saloon singer and it's Barry's father so he's well known there and he gets in there and he sings Danny boy one of the most traditional touching Irish songs that they have oh Danny boy can you imagine and he sings and you look around you see all these hardened people these rough tough people that Normally they couldn't be in the same room together without killing each other. They're all standing there, tears coming down their face. Oh, and then when when he finishes, I look at Mickey. Mickey looks at me and he says, what do you think? I said, how do you fight now? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> See that, how do you fight after that but fighters do what they have to do they're special just like a football player, basketball player, a doctor a top lawyer that might get involved in an emotional thing in the courtroom or, or a doctor involved in an emotional thing where they open up the, the patient the patient's a three year old kid bleeding internally and you want to cry you want to start praying but what do you do you behave like a doctor behave like a professional same thing what does the fighter do you want to cry you want to just say no more <laughs> that's enough not today not today what do you do you go and you do it you do what you got to do you do what you're trained to do you behave like a pro you behave like a fighter and you go and you fight wow what a what what a just just incredible and um I just thought it was worth saying that to people that th- these kind of experiences were out there in, in, this, in this world um, with boxing. And I'll tell you, it was, that fight was the closest thing to that feeling. Watching that fight reminded me of that feeling I had in King's Hall. It was that thick. It was that intense. It was that heavy.
0: And so that's my number one round. My number two round... Hold on, be, be, before you go on, can I just add one thing? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Having worked for years with Mickey at the prison, we were both corrections correction officers at um, in Billerica, just outside of Lowell. When I, st- I was, I was, I was going to say, before you said you're correction officers, I was going to say, what side of the... What side of the pipes were you on? It's funny because this, this is actually a true story. While Mickey and I both had badges on, both of our brothers were inmates at different times in that same facility. But have I tuned in to watch that fight, and I didn't even know it was happening. I just happened to turn on. You know, Mickey was like for all intents and purposes, a club fighter. And when I saw him fighting Arturo Gardi on HBO, you know the feeling when you see someone who you're close with, who you identify with, it's just like the Irish people with McWiggan. Like, to me, Mickey was like, I was part of him. You know, like, he was like one of us. And I was like, oh, man, Mickey Woods in there with Arturo Gaudi? Oh, he's in there tough. I hope he doesn't get hurt literally i think oh they must have brought him in as an opponent and when he have us that ninth round when he had arturo gaudi hurt just what you're describing like the emotions were so so deep and so strong versus what you would typically experience i was just like oh my god and literally in my in my head i'm thinking we're gonna do it like i'm like i'm in there with him as crazy as it sounds and anytime someone's like we did the, we won the super bowl i'm always like what position were you playing what do you mean we won but now you understand that's that's the great thing about sports is it just like for, for for however long, whatever your connection is, whatever sport, whatever team, for that moment you're there with them. And I'll never forget that feeling of watching Mickey Warden feeling like we were doing it, like we were all doing it. You know, like all the club fighters and guys who were like scrapping, they were getting a win on HBO. It was awesome. Anyway, you, sorry. You
1: know what you just did No no, it's nothing to be sorry about. You just really in in a really eloquent way, you describe the essence of what a fan is. Uh, you couldn't describe it better and why sports are so big in this country and, um, and how people get so attached and why they get so attached to their teams and to their players and why it becomes so important. Why a kid's game, baseball, you know, whatever. Um, Obviously, boxing is not a kid's game. But why a sport that you can point to a lot of things in this world that are more important, why a sport becomes that important to somebody? Because it can, whether it's baseball, football, basketball, hockey, boxing, it can pull somebody out of a place that they're in. It can give them hope. Their guy is doing it. Everything will be okay. Their guy, you go back in the history of this great sport of boxing, back to an unfortunate time in this country when blacks were not treated right. And Joe Lewis was the heavyweight champ, the biggest, he was the biggest guy in the world. He was. Boxing was the biggest sport at that time in the world, bigger than baseball, and you had black people that were suffering. And we've gotten past that. We, we, we've, that's the greatness of, that, of our country. We've been on the floor, but we've gotten off the floor. We dusted ourselves off. And we corrected our mistakes. And we went forward. We've become better and better and better and better. And we're the greatest country in the world. But you go through trials and tribulations. You go through mistakes. You go through difficulties. And that was a huge, beyond, beyond difficulty. We're talking about blood, human lives. And while this was still going on in this great country, and it wasn't as great as it was about to become, but it was part of the progression, part of the transformation, part of the growth that we had to grow. Joe Lewis, a black man, was the king of sports. Again, sports. Sports sports, there's more important things like paying your bills, like going to work every day, like, God forbid, being sick and illness and wars and all that, but during that time, the sport of boxing, Joe Lewis being the king, Joe Lewis being the champion of the world allowed people that were down, that were losing the most important thing that you have to never lose in your life. You can lose blood, you could still live. You know, you can lose sweat and you still can stand up and you still can be revived. You can lose air and you can get new air. And you can still be able to go out there and take deep breaths. But you can't lose hope. You can't lose hope. That's the one thing you can't lose and still live. You can't lose hope. And Joe Lewis was their hope. Joe Lewis... Uh, there are great stories where, where black families, as bad as things were, would say, we're going to be okay. Joe Lewis is heavyweight champ of the world. If Joe can do it, we can do it. If Joe can win, we can win. That's how powerful. That's what you just described. That's what people sometimes don't get about sports, that it can become that at special times. Whatever it is, it doesn't have to be as serious as what I'm talking about. Yep. It could be much less serious. But it's serious for that person. That person feeling a little down and that guy gets up there in the ninth inning in the World Series and wins the World Series. They've been lifted. They've been lifted. They've been validated their struggles. Everything's better. And that's that's what it can do sometimes. And with boxing, that's what it did with during that time with the great. To me, he's my number one heavyweight. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the reason. Someday we'll do a podcast just on that but that's my, that's one of my reasons besides how great he was in the ring and he was the greatest finisher maybe of all time and he could punch from either side of the plate left to right and his punches were short and succinct and and you didn't see them coming they were they went this far <laughs> this far and they knocked you out but besides that and he was balanced he was always in position never out of position his legs always under him and he had and he had blackburn uh, the 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 great fighter himself, a great black fighter that never got a chance to fight for the title, never got a chance to do what Joe Lewis did. But he was a great fighter and a great trainer. Blackburn, Charlie Blackburn, uh, I believe his first name was Charlie, but Blackburn, great fighter, tough guy, and he was his trainer. And again, it was just it was a time where Joe Lewis could lift people. He lifted people off the canvas with his punches, but he could lift people off the canvas of life by being who he was, by achieving what he achieved, by giving people, again, something that you can't afford to lose, hope. If Joe Lewis could do it, we could do it. Son, if Joe Lewis could do it, you could do it. There was something to point to. So, since you brought up that part, I just wanted to. The next one, number two, again, staying in the modern era, and I can't see how you could argue with me with this one either. Corrales Castillo, number one, the 10th round. Yep. Same thing. Unbelievable. Warden Gaddy. You know, Warden Gaddy, if if that was a book, well, this was the audio version. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, unbelievable, Ken. Unbelievable. Castillo winning the fight, looks like he's gonna knock out Corrales. He's got him he's got him gone, gone, gone. You know. I mean it was like watching a guy in a in a angry sea getting hit by waves crashed into rocks one wave after another bang 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 you know and then Corrales goes down he spits his mouthpiece out he lets his mouthpiece go out that was the element that was the X factor yep that changed things that, that split second of getting a little little bit of a reprieve just a split second Things happen for funny reasons. Fate, destiny. It's out of your control. But they happen. It happened. He spit his mouth, he let it go, whatever. But it changed things. Just like when Muhammad Ali, the great Ali on his way up, was fighting Henry Cooper, and he got dropped by a left hook. First time in his career, he was dropped. He was drunk, walking. And a young Ali goes back to his corner. He's got one minute to recover. It was just before the bell. He was lucky. But the great ones are lucky that way. Fate looks out for them. He gets, just before the belly gets dropped, he goes back, he's got a minute. Is he going to recover? We don't know. We don't know. But what happens? All of a sudden, he's definitely going to recover. All of a sudden, there's a rip in his glove. And the great corner man, and one one of the greatest corner men, Angelo Dundee, says, Hey, there's a rip in the glove. We've got to change gloves. That takes that takes five minutes. ha. <laughs> 5 minutes is better than 1 minute. Maybe it took 7 minutes. 7 minutes is better than 1 minute. <laughs> By the time the gloves were changed, guess what? Ali wasn't drunk no more. The the effects of the Henry Cooper left took, they were they were gone. And Ali goes out there, cuts up old Henry and uh, you know, obviously stops him on cuts and wins the fight. Well, those things happen with the great ones. It seems to happen at moments with special guys and special times and the mouthpiece goes out corrales is about to be knocked out he gets a little bit of a of a reprieve right a little bit of a pit stop and then all of a sudden he's coming back i mean he's gone and now he's coming back and he's getting pummeled boom
0: he catches corral he catches castillo he spit them out, then he took it out the second time, and it was, so, it was so blatant that they actually took a point. Tony Weeks took a point from him, which took more time to get, gave him more yeah, time. that to helped him. Yeah.
1: That, that helped him more. He didn't care about points, because at that point, it was about surviving. Yes. It was about getting, getting, getting a reprieve. Yep. Getting the cobwebs out of your head. And so, what happens? He comes back, and now he catches Castile. Oh boy, what a what a round. What a round. Oh my God, what a round. Tell you, I talked about it was like watching an angry storm, you know, where the waves are just beating each other up, you know, crashing into each other. When it was all over, where it was like the Poseidon adventure, (laughs) it was was like all of a sudden you're watching this battle of waves, and then all of a sudden, boom, one guy's not there no more. (laughs) Yep. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Where, where'd he go? Where'd he go? The wave took him. The wave took him? <laughs> yeah, the wave took him, Teddy. Wow, the wave took him. Yeah, it took him. I never thought it would take him. So that was, that's number two. And uh, number three, maybe the greatest round in heavyweight history. Maybe. Maybe for me. And the one that people don't talk about, not aware of enough, they don't talk. And it was when the 15 rounds was still 15, when fights were still 15 rounds, championship fights before it changed to 12. So you'll never see it again, obviously. So the 15th round heavyweight title fight, Larry Holmes, Ken Norton. The 15th round, fights up for grabs. And this 15th round is going to do more than get a hand raised. It's going to be do more than designate the heavyweight champ of the world. I don't think there's ever been a round, Ken, maybe that's been more significant in changing the course of two people's lives in a sport, in any sport, than this. It changed the course of two men's life in a dramatic way where it's this much, I mean, not even that much, to to pick in that round. And Larry Holmes wins the round. Whoever wins is going to win the fight. He wins the round, and he goes on to make twice. 20 title defenses. The only man who made more heavyweight title defenses was the man I just talked about before, the great Joe Lewis, 25. Holmes goes on to make 20 title defenses. Guess what when you make 20 title defenses? Guess what happens? Your bank account grows (laughs) quite large, and you wind up buying a town called Eastern Pennsylvania. (laughs) (laughs) Basically. Basically. He basically owns Eastern Pennsylvania, hotels, banks, whatever. That's what happens. But, and that's glorious. That's great. I love to say it. But then what happens when a guy that doesn't quite that close and just gets beat out by maybe one punch, maybe, maybe one punch, what happens to him? He becomes a footnote, basically. Ken Norton, I love Ken Norton. Great. Great great but he becomes a footnote in the history of the sport the other guy goes on to be a multi 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 millionaire that basically owns a town and is you know is thought of came this close to beating marciano or tying marciano's record before michael spinks beat him because he was 48 and no he was going for 49 and all, and spinks beat him and then that doesn't happen you know so but he's that significant. He goes on to have that kind of life and Ken Norton becomes a footnote basically to the guy who fought Muhammad Ali three times, lost twice, and broke his jaw once. But that doesn't pay bills. That doesn't put you in the history books. It puts you in the books. But it doesn't put you in the books with that kind of legacy that you want to be attached to in the books it doesn't do that it doesn't give you immortality uh that's 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 just a reminder of how fickle life can be how how just how fragile how the the, the scales the scales can go this way just just the smallest thing in life could kil- tilt the scale One way or the other way for somebody. And it did in that fight. And what a round. What a round. People should Google these rounds. Probably they've probably seen the first two. But they probably haven't seen the one I just said. And then number four. If you've been and you have. If you've been in Irish pubs. Where you go into those men type bars. You know the the real men type bars those irish pubs and stuff there's not uh, there's not as many as there used to be but you see a picture uh, listen you i hope you go i don't know you, you used to go with them but now you're a big shot you go into those fancy <laughs> places that have to that have that have the umbrellas and the drinks, right 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 <laughs> no guinness no guinness right and a shot on the side Right, what
0: what they call that, a boilermaker. With uh, with my four little kids, I'm happy if I can have a glass of wine in my backyard and no one come over and punch my face. No, you're right.
1: <laughs> you're right. You have a beautiful family, <laughs> and um, so any of those bars that you go in, the people listen to me. If you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your father, <laughs> ask your grandfather, ask your uncle, ask your neighbor. Somebody does there's a picture of this fight right there above the bar. An old picture of this fight. Old painting of this fight. And which fight? Dempsey versus Furpo. Back when boxing was the king. And Dempsey was the king. Furpo was down five times and the round was the first round. Five times and Dempsey's down twice, Ken, <laughs> in the first <laughs> round. And... Dempsey's knocked out of the ring. He's knocked out of the ring. He he like falls into the scorer's table where the judges like like their scorecards get thrown onto the floor because Dempsey falls onto their table. (laughs) And there's a picture of Dempsey outside the ring with Furpo standing over him and Dempsey outside the ring, his body outside the ring, starting to climb
0: back in. Imagine. So... What, what if, a if you get knocked out of the ring, what do you have, 30 seconds to get back into the ring? Back in those days,
1: we're talking the 1920s, so I don't know exactly what the rules were then. But nowadays, what do you have, 20 seconds, I think? I think it's 20 Is it or 30 20? seconds
0: to get back in. And we had situations like that. Bernard Hopkins, when he was middleweight champ, that right? Was, I think that was the last of his fight by Joe Smith Jr. Knocked him out. He went right out. I think he landed on his head. I I think Hopkins went through that more
1: than once. You'd have to check for me, Ken or Rob. I think Hopkins, who of course has more middleweight defenses than anybody, even more than Hagler, um, or I forget who else, Tony Zale, whoever, but he broke the record for most title defenses, middleweight, and Hopkins was terrific. Um, I think he was knocked out of the ring twice. I think there was another time in his career, earlier in his career, you know when he fought Smith, he was old. Yeah, let's be honest. Take away from Smith. What a physical guy! What a tough guy! What a determined guy! But you know he was in there with a what was Hopkins, close to fifty years old. Yeah, I mean, so, uh, but a younger Hopkins when he was you know reigning as middleweight champ. You guys are gonna have to look it up, but he he got knocked out of the ring, if I remember correctly, and got back, I believe, got back in the ring. Um, or the or the fight might have been uh, a no contest because of an injury. I can't remember what it was. Uh, you'll you'll find it. Rob will find it. Somebody will find it. But that you know that was a great round. If there's pictures of it in all the Irish pubs around the country, it had to be. That's number four. You ready for number five? Ready. You remember the old Westerns? Yep. The Gunslingers? Yep. You know, that was uh, Clint Eastwood with that music. Can you do that music for me? I know Rob's going to put it up for me. Uh, here, put it up for me. I know he will. But th- that music. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there it is. Uh, you know no not quite that's a little (laughs) off Uh, (laughs) a little too bostonian (laughs) uh, I'm talking about west I even whistle with Uh, a boston accent uh, (laughs) uh, you do you do get the car all right so so you got you gotta have that image when I take you down this this alley where you you got these two gunslingers coming out the music You know, Clint Eastwood coming out. And the OK Corral, you're going to have a shootout. You're just going to have a shootout. Nothing fancy. Once it starts, bullets are flying. Bullets are flying. And that's what this one was, number five, baby. Hagler Hearns. Oh, the best. Hagler Hearns. Round number one. Wow. Wow. Round number one. I mean, what can you say that I haven't said, and just given that description? It was one of the greatest rounds, again in boxing history. You know, and uh, I can't stop at five. You knew this was coming. <laughs> How are you going to stop at five? It's like, it's like eating the, those. Uh, Should I name the name and give them free advertisement When they don't promote us (laughs) But maybe they become a sponsor It's like eating those Lay's potato chips You can't have one (laughs) You can't have one You're talking about greatest rounds Ken Greatest rounds in the history Of this sport How are you going to
0: stop at five (laughs) Ken You can't stop at five Ken Especially when two of the five were uh, Bostonians Hagler and Um Mickey Ward. Yeah, we don't want to get too skewed towards the Bostonians. It's like that movie,
1: that movie where what's his name is is the star, uh, Tom Hanks, and um, League of Their Own. When the b- girl in the baseball game starts crying, he comes out of the dugout. What are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> <laughs> there is no crying in baseball. <laughs> you can't cry in baseball. And then the umpire comes down. What, what are you doing? What's going on here? She's crying. You tell her. She can't cry. You, there's no crying in baseball. <laughs> well, there's no picking five rounds. When you ask Teddy Atlas to pick five of the greatest rounds in the history of sport, a sport that's longer around longer than any other sport in the freaking world, you could trace it back in some origins to 200 years. There's no way you're asking me to stop at 5. Okay? So I'm not. So I'm going to go I'm going to go through some others. And these others I don't know the round. I just know that in the fight was <laughs> one of those rounds <laughs> was the round. I just can't okay. identify for you which <laughs> one it was. And it was Graciano Zale, too. Graciano Brooklyn kid, New York kid uh Remember that old show? Do you remember Kenny, the East Side Kids, the Bowery Boys? I don't remember that one. Flip, oh man, I remember those guys. Slip and Flip. They were they were rugged kids out on the street. You know, they were wayward kids, but there was something special about them. Yeah, something really good about them that you you know something redeeming. Yeah, but they were kids. They were getting in trouble, doing all kind. They they didn't have any real direction. And Graciana was that kid. He was in reform school along with Jake Lamata. He was from the, from the Lower East Side, I believe. And matter of fact, they were both in reform school, I think at the same time, and, and you know about prisons, up, up where I was in a prison called Kasaki. As kids. Oh, yeah. It was, it was about 10 miles from where I lived in Catskill when I was training fighters up there for eight years with Custom Auto, Kasaki Prison. I don't know if it's there anymore, but they were both in there. So it's a great story. So here, Graziano, this, this kid from the low East Side, he fights for the title against Zell, the man of steel, the great Tony Zell, great body puncher. Oh, he had a great combination. You know what his signature punch was? Right hand to the body, bang, left hook. Right hand to the body, bang, left hook to the head. Freeze you, paralyze you with the right to the body and then knock you out with the left hook to the head. <laughs> so he fights Graziano. Graziano gets knocked out by him in the first fight. Then he fights some he fights him in a rematch. I I believe I believe it was in Chicago, if my memory is right, outdoors. But but you'll find it so he fights him in the rematch fight number two and of course he's a big underdog Graziano but the one thing Graziano besides that he fought with great heart in that fight he had a great right hand kind of like Wilder we talk about Wilder's right hand paralyzing punch he had that kind of power in the right hand he had a I mean that's what he was he was a right hand guy right hand puncher And did you find where the fight was? I'm working on it. One was in New York, one was in Chicago. I think the second one was
0: Chicago. (laughs) These guys, when you look at their record, they had so many damn fights. It's like pulling teeth trying to fight it. Uh, I see him fight in in 48, he fought him in Newark. Tony Zale in 47, he fought him in Chicago for the NBA uh, middleweight title. National Boxing Association.
1: Yeah, that was the title. There was one champion, it was like it should be, there was one champion in each division, not five, not 10, not
0: 22, one champion. Zeal's record fighting for the title was 63-16. and (laughs) Yeah, not bad. And so he'd go, the man of steel.
1: So they fight the rematch in Chicago, and Graziano's a big underdog. He's on the floor in a fight. He's behind, way behind in a fight, and... I don't know if it was the fifth round, sixth round. Six. He catches Zell. Sixth round. He catches Zell with with that thunderbolt like Wilder has, that right hand. Tremendous puncher. And he knocks him out, and he becomes the middleweight champ of the world. Oh, wow. What a story. Uh, What a story. This kid from the Lower East Side, this kid that was in reform school, he's the middleweight champ of the world. And to show you how big that fight was, Remember the actor, the great Paul Newman? Yep. Well, a young Paul Newman, they make a movie out of that fight. They make a movie out of the Graziano story. They make a movie called Somebody Up There Likes Me. And Paul Newman, the young Paul Newman, great actor, he plays Graziano in a movie. It became a very popular movie. I don't know if it won any awards, but it was a feel-good movie. Really really perfect movie for this story and uh anybody who has a movie about their life uh i guess you could say they made it and they deserve to be mentioned on my on my list as a matter of fact i remember afterwards he was one of the first fighters back in those days that got commercials he used to do midas i think midas muffler commercials and and he you know he'd stand there and he had that 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 acts that New York broken broken uh, you know sort of uh, uh, you know so accent you know that uh, accent that Costamaro used to get mad. He used to say, you know what gets me mad, Teddy? People when they hear the way he talk. Oh, you know, I would have had. Uh, you know, he he had that kind of talk. You know, uh, you know, like that that just street sort of uneducated, rough around the edges talk. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like like a tough guy talk like. Yeah, you know, I, I would have had him in the bed, but uh, you know, the 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 guy got away, and then I cut him with the right hand. I you know, I would have mauled him. I would have mauled him if I would have had a chance, uh, you know. And when he would talk that way and do the commercials, that's why he got the commercials. There was there was something likeable, something something that was sellable with that, you know, that that uh, that connected with people. So he got these. He got the. Basically, he was the guy that represented Midas Mufflers with the commercials. But Cus used to get mad and say, people think he talks that way because he got hit too much. (laughs) But but I know Graziano because Cuss had Graziano before he turned pro. Cuss had him. A lot of people don't know that. So Cuss said he always talked that way. He talked that way before he ever got hit a punch. That was just the way he talked. But everybody blamed it on boxing and cuz used to get pissed off. So and, and would have to uh, he would have to explain that to you. But uh he he would do the kind of buy kind of buy Midas commercial, all right? If you don't, I'm going to knock you out. I'm going to hit you with this, you know. So he was the face of Midas Mufflers. So that's number that became number six in my five in my five <laughs> uh, round list, <laughs> and number number seven, Ali Fracia three. I mean how can you, I mean the thrill in little. I don't remember if it was the tenth round, it was a late round, but all I know is if you have to one of the greatest fighters of all time tell Sports Illustrated after the fight that after the tenth round. He felt like he was going to die. Yeah. Those are Ali's words. He said, I felt like I was going to die. And I went back and he was very honest. You don't get this too often. Because people want to protect their interests. They want to protect themselves. They don't want, especially in a boxing game. And even in other sports. Like if you're a pitcher and your arm felt like it was falling off... And you struck a guy out, you don't want to tell him your arm was falling off because the next time the guy might dig in a little bit more yeah. and say, hey, he's, he, I know he doesn't feel good even though he's making me think he feels good. Or a football player where, you know, the guy, you don't want to tell him that, hey, you know, I I was, I was, didn't feel like hitting anybody no more <laughs> because then you might feel that you can get the guy to that place. Yep. So you don't want him to know your possible weaknesses. So fighters wouldn't talk honestly About how they were human. They were human and they felt human thoughts. So here he is. Here he is, where after the 10th round, he talks very honest, more honest than anybody ever had probably before. And he tells the writer from Sports Illustrated, I felt like I was going to, it was the closest thing I ever felt to death. And he said, When I went back to the, and sat on the stool in the 10th round, I thought about quitting. What? What? (laughs) What? What? Muhammad Ali? What? And people never thought that a fighter of that caliber, a performer of that caliber, whether it's baseball, football, it could be anything. It could be a guy who goes out to work for his family and he feels like quitting. He, he, He just gets down, he feels it, but he doesn't quit. He doesn't quit because something else picks him up. His responsibility to his kids, whatever it is. and But it doesn't mean you can't feel what a normal person would feel and such things. So you people out there, you feel that? Hey, Ali felt it. What matters is what you do, not what you feel. And Ali felt like quitting, he said. And then the bell rings, and so what does he do? He picks his backside up, his wet backside, that was soaking wet from all that sweat, and he gets up, and he goes out there and goes into the storm, a storm named Joe Frazier that did nothing but throw left hooks, and he went out there. And then at the end, who winds up stopping in a corner? Eddie Fudge stops it in the 14th round. I believe it was the 14th round, uh, and stops the fight and doesn't allow Frazier to come out for the 15th. And you know, and meanwhile there's another lesson in life. You feel so like you can't go on and four rounds later the other guy can't go on. Mm-hmm. There's another moral to that story. Don't give up. The other guy might be feeling the same thing as you're feeling in life. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know. So that that what a oh what a fight. And and again, they were never the same. They they left big pieces themselves. They left big pieces themselves in the ring. They really did that night. They didn't leave that ring whole. They did not. But it's a tough sport. It's a brutal sport sometimes. You know. Yep. It was. Uh, it was a. It was a. If there's such a word or such a phrase as what I'm about to spit out of my mouth, it was a. Beautiful brutality. Yep. There was a beauty to the brutality because beyond the brutality, you saw why man is still here. From the first time that we started walking up straight instead of bent over, and we had less hair on our arms (laughs) and legs, there was there was a understanding from the beginning, whether it was a woolly mammoth outside your cave or a saber-toothed tiger or uh, somebody from, you know, one of the other tribes with a club in his hand, whatever, you understood without having to say a word. Conquer or be conquered. It was emblazoned into our souls. Into our DNA. That's why man's still here, baby.
0: Conquer or be conquered. That reminds me of that expression when you were describing that fight. That when you're going through hell, keep going. There it is. And, you know, that's what it was.
1: There was nothing left. He thought about quitting. And then the bell rang. And he got up. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Conquer or be conquered. That That's why I say a beautiful brutality because it was brutal. Yeah. But what, what was beautiful was to be able to see where men can reach when they dig inside of themselves and they explore those spaces inside of themselves. Uh, it's extraordinary. Mm-hmm. What they can find, where they can go and that was extraordinary it really was uh boy brutal uh damaging but who's to say if you asked him again if it was worth it Ali Ali didn't get a you know he didn't get the he didn't get to live the years that he might have lived if he didn't go through those fights and to be debilitated physically the way he was. Let's be honest. We talked the truth here with Parkinson's That That didn't come out of the sky. It came out of fist. Mm -hmm. Fist that came out of the sky, but it didn't come on its own. But if you asked him, he was never unhappy at the end. He was never unhappy. He was always gracious. He was always part of his religious beliefs to be good to all people you know, with Islam and his belief of just being good to people, p- loving all people. And he, he changed. He made a metamorphosis uh, in his life later on uh, as a person. And he really did believe in loving all people at the end. And he practiced that. I I was with him one time in a place at an event. And he wasn't in great shape and they were trying to get him to leave and there was a line that just kept going and going and going and going on autographs and he would not leave till he signed the last one he just
0: wouldn't he just wouldn't it reminds me of another boxing guy you when we were at the hall of fame and you were trying to go from one event to another uh and there was a line of people and Rob and I were giggling to ourselves because the guy who was organizing the whole thing was like, Teddy, we're going to have to delay the cocktail party. And your attitude to him was like, so delay it. And we're not going to leave until all the people get it autographed. There was a line of people. And oh, it was so funny watching the organizer panic as you were like completely unfazed by his chaos. And like, no, until all the autographs are signed, can't delay the cocktail party if you have to. So he must have rubbed off on you. I don't know. I, I, I'll i never be an Ali, but but we can
1: all be who we want to be. Mm-hmm. And I want to be a person that um, respects people, you know, to the point that they have a right to be respected and that cares about people. And if people can come up there and take the time to come up to the Hall of Fame and drive wherever they drove, some of them flew from London and different places, you know, yeah, Australia. That's a
0: good point, because the place is in the middle of nowhere, more or less. I mean, it's, it is. it's up there.
1: And if people could come up there, they could take the time to think it's important enough to get an autograph from, from you, from from who? What, what am I? And they think that that's important enough. Well, I'll be damned. And I'll be damned if I'm going to let a cocktail party <laughs> make me walk away when a person is there and wants an autograph, and came where they came from, and thinks that's important to them, and makes it that important to them, it's a privilege. Yep. It's not a. It's not a. A burden. No, you're right. It's. Uh, it's a privilege that somebody cares that much. Yep. And that you could make them. That you have to give for that moment. I might not have that gift again. Yeah. But for that moment, I have a gift, to be able to make somebody. Feel a little better, to feel good. Yep. I don't deserve it, but I don't know how it happened. But I have that gift for that moment. For that moment, I have that gift, that uh, that that privilege to be able to make somebody feel a little bit better. Yep. What's better than that? Yeah, know. What's more important than that? Nothing. So, but that fight, and then the next round. Again, I can't tell you. Oh, I can't tell you the round. Joe Lewis versus light heavyweight champ Billy Conn. The first time that a a light heavyweight was moving up to heavyweight. Well, not the first time. I shouldn't say that. But he was trying to become. He was trying to become the first light heavyweight to win the heavyweight title. That's what he was trying to do. He was trying to become the first light heavyweight to win the heavyweight title. Billy Conn, great fighter great light heavyweight champ, good boxer, fighting the great Joe Lewis, who was past his prime. And it was the 13th round. Khan was ahead on all scorecards. The only way he could lose was to get cocky and stand in front of the great Joe Lewis too long. He got cocky, and he stood in front of the great Joe Lewis. And Khan was a great fighter. He stood in front of the great Joe Lewis a little too long and fought with him a little bit too much. Told his corner, his corner said box. He told his corner, nah, nah, nah. What's the fun in that? I'm knocking him out. I'm knocking the old man out. <laughs> Respect your elders. <laughs> Respect your elders. A lesson. And what does he do? He stands in front of him a little too much. He's way ahead on the scorecards. Lewis knocks him out. 13th round. The great Joe Lewis. And uh, number nine. And you know you know why I'm going with this one, Ken? Why is that? Two reasons. One, because it belongs here, number one. We have great fans out there, and I want to take this moment to thank them. You always thank them. I want to thank them for being with us and giving us a reason to do this. And I want to... One of the fans that had written in to, and Rob looks at, you know, Rob tries to look at all of the uh, things that get written in, and my daughter looks at a lot of them too, my daughter Nicole, and they get written into my Instagram, they get written into, I don't even know what they are. know, Twitter. Uh, I was going to say Twitter, I'm glad you jumped in there. And they're written into Twitter, and they're written into our show, and I don't. I don't get to see them all, but I, I see some and I try to read as many as I can when they're brought to my attention, you know, but there's so many of them and we're blessed. I'm blessed and I'm thankful, but there's one that I did see, the fan, he loves us. He loves the show and and we're grateful to all the fans, but he had a complaint. <laughs> he loves the show, son of a gun, but... He had a complaint. He said, Teddy, you talk about all these fights and all these great fights, and thank you, and I'm with you, and my family's with you, and my friends are with you, but why do you not talk about, during the 80s, the great fights between Boza Edwards and, and, and uh, Bobby Chacon and uh, Bazooka Lamone, <laughs> all those guys, why do you not talk about them? All right, okay. I'll talk about them. (laughs) Here I am. I hope you're listening. I hope you're listening, buddy. (laughs) And here it is. For you. This one's for you. Bobby Chacon versus Bose Edwards. They fought a few times. um, But every one of the fights was just wars. Nothing but wars. And there was a fighter at that time, Bazooka Lamone. The three of them, they took turns fighting each other. And then a guy came along named Hector Camacho, who really is an underrated fighter. He really was one of the fastest fighters. We talk about the speed of Mayweather and Pacquiao. A young Camacho might have been faster. I mean, that's how fast he yeah. was, which is pretty pretty amazing what I just said. And he came along, he he was just too fast uh, for these guys, uh, for Bazooka Lamone. I remember that fight. I think that's who he fought. But... They fought so many times, but pick whatever round you want, I don't care. But Chacon versus Boza Edwards, um, just two gladiators for the 70s, the 80s. They left it all in the ring. And quite frankly, especially Chacon, he left too much in the ring. He left too much in the ring, to be quite honest. But that's another reason why I'm mentioning him. The, The fan that, that wrote in that, what he wrote in, he was absolutely right. He deserved, he earned the right to be mentioned. And I'm doing what the fan reminded me to do. Number 10. George Foreman versus Ron Lyle. Some people called it the elevator fight because each one on the floor so many times, up and down, elevator. Uh, Again, pick your round. But it was, it was quite a fight. They were both on the floor. Ron Lyle was a guy who began his boxing career in prison, I believe, in Colorado. Uh, he got out. He became a heavyweight contender, good puncher. And he fought the great George Foreman. George Foreman had a great chin. He needed it against Lyle because Lyle was a hell of a puncher. I think mostly with the right hand if my memory's right. But, and then I'm like the energy bunny with gloves on. I'm just going (laughs) to keep going, baby. Number 11. And I wrote to myself, last but not least, guess what? It's not last. (laughs) But I thought it was. My intentions were at the moment when I was doing, I swear to you, Ken, At the moment I was doing it, it was going to be my last one. But, you know, then then you start thinking and you say, wait a minute. And this one, just like I did the other one for the fan, and I'm not doing them if they're not legitimately belonging there. I'm not doing it. But this one is for my friend, the great Philadelphia Hall of Fame promoter, Russell Peltz. I know that this will make him happy. It was Matthew Saad Muhammad, who was a great light heavyweight champ, made great fights back in the eighties. On fought everybody: Yaki Lopez, Jerry the Bull Martin, everybody. I mean, he he was a he was the the epitome of what you mean when you say fan friendly fighter, and good right hand puncher, tough guy. Got hit too much, suffered the consequences later in his life, unfortunately. But boy, he brought a lot of good fights to people. Muhammad Saad Muhammad, Madhu Saad Muhammad versus Russell Peltz's fighter, Marvin Johnson. Marvin Johnson was a southpaw, tough guy. Oh, oh, tough guy, tough guy. Uh, Muhammad won by 12th round KO. I don't remember which round exactly, but uh, was, was the great round, but they were all great rounds. Again, Choose whatever you want in that fight. You can't go wrong. Um, Just can't go wrong. And I'm going to read my note here. On second thought, I better throw in one more. (laughs) So number 12, and again, inspired by a friend. But it it belongs there. But inspired by a friend. My friends, the fans, everybody out there, they are... they put me back on the right road sometimes. I listen, mm-hmm. people think I don't listen. I listen, <laughs> I listen, when I want to. And this one is for, to. so my friend, the great historian, I think he's probably the best historian. If not the best, he's one of the top, like we got the top five, which has become 12 right now. <laughs> um, rounds of all time. This, my friend who I'm about to mention is Probably the top historian in boxing, but definitely in the top two or three. Um, But for me, he's the best, and his name is Mike Silva. And he would be angry if I didn't get this one in. The old mongoose. He loved the fighters of the, you know, of the era of the golden era. And uh, how can you not love the old mongoose, Archie Moore? Three hundred fights, hundred thirty something knockouts. I mean. You know, he had the uh, the turtle defense. He invented this. The turtle defense oh, again yeah. like this. And, uh, you know, he, he fought. He was still winning titles or defending titles in his 40s, late 40s. He didn't get the shot at the light heavyweight title. He might have went down. he still might be the greatest light heavyweight of all time, but there's an argument to be made. But he might have went down as the greatest light heavyweight by miles if they gave him his title shot when he deserved it. But they didn't. They didn't. You know, it was still hard back in those days where a black fighter didn't always get a fair shake, unfortunately. And he had to wait longer. But when he got his shot, he made the most of it and he kept the title even into his late you know, into his 40s. Uh, and he, uh, this is quite a fight. The old Mongos, the great Archie Moore, he was in his 40s. You can look up to age right now, Ken, if you want. But it's a fight against a young, I think he was like 25 years old, 26 years old. Yvonne Durrell from Canada. Strong, young, tough guy. Uh, he was fighting a great, Archie Moore, Archie's probably about 45, 44, and probably Darrell's about 25. So you're talking about 20 years difference, and what happens? Well, again, greatest rounds. Darrell drops the great Archie Moore three times in the first round. There was no three knockdown rule, obviously, in effect. I believe it was three times in the first round. Uh, that he drops him and Archie Moore survives it and he comes back and I hope my memory is correct but you're going to look it up for me he comes back and he knocks out Darrell in the 11th round I mean can you imagine 45 or something like that fighting a 25 year old he gets dropped 3 times in the first round I believe it was and then he comes back and knocks Darrell out in the 11th
0: the 11th round in 58, he knocked him out in uh, Montreal and Quebec, uh, retained the lineal, lineal heavyweight title. And he got dropped three times in the first round more, right? Ah, uh, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. So he gets
1: dropped three times in the first round, as I said, and comes back and knocks out the younger Darrell in the 11th. So making Mike Silver happy, that's number 12. And that took me into 13. Um... Lucky 13, right? I don't know. I'm a little superstitious, but... And this one, this one I had to be selfish. I took it from my day doing the Friday night fights that we did for 18 years on ESPN. And we had a lot of special fights, but for me, this was one of the greatest that you could ever watch in person. And it's a fight that nobody's probably going to th- think twice about or even notice when I say it. But that's why I'm saying it. Because it deserves to be said. It doesn't always have to be attached to famous names. You know, significant names. It's just a great fight. And again, it was part of... I, I called the fight, obviously, on ESPN. And I believe I called it with my partner, Bob Papa at the time. And it was Israel Vasquez versus Larios. Um, what a fight, what a fight, great fight, great rounds, again, I don't remember what the hell round it was, but there was a lot of them, and I'm gonna read my note, oh, forget about lucky 13, let's do 14, (laughs) just in case there is some superstition, and there could be something attached to 13, so let's go past 13, let's do 14, (laughs) and... You're going to be glad I did it, Ken. And the fans are going to be glad that I did it. And I just want to check here to see if it's the last one. Yeah, it's the last one. It's the last one. And it's Aaron Pryor versus the great Alexis Oguello. Let me say it again. The great Aaron Pryor. God bless him, he's not with us no more. God bless Alexis, he's not with us anymore. The great Aaron Pryor versus the great Alexis O'Guello, number one. Wow. Back and and there were fifteen round fights back there. Wow. What a fight. Uh see if you could pull this up. I don't know. Rob will pull it up for us. Uh but there was a round there where Aguayo stand-up boxer champion in several divisions gentleman of the ring was a great right hand straight right hand puncher nothing looping straight as an arrow and Aaron Pryor was the opposite true punches from all angles the energizer bunny never stopped coming never stopped coming he had instincts that very few guys have he had energy that very few guys had. He he go to the side, give you angles, come at you from all direction. He was the closest thing ever to Henry Armstrong from the thirties. Just a punching dynamo, just just a a punching windmill, just a hurricane on legs. He never stopped, and he fought the great Alexis Arguello. Arguello was the favorite going into that fight, I think. And I remember I made a bet with a newspaper writer and everybody liked Arguello. O- uh, I liked Pryor. And I don't think they realized how special Pryor was yet. Uh, there was something inside of him. And so I liked Pryor. We we bet a steak dinner at a good restaurant.
0: I'm still waiting for the... You said Arguello was the favorite? Yeah. Arguello, yeah, it was 12 to 5 favorite. Yeah. And... uh. Tempting to become the first boxer to win world titles in four weight divisions. Yep. Well, during the course of the fight, back and forth, Oguello
1: hits, and this is the round probably. I don't remember which one it was. But Oguello hits Pryor with a right hand, one of his Sunday punches, his signature punch, straight right hand. And Pryor's head goes like this, Ken. Watch this. Goes like this, and comes back. <laughs> I mean, it was it was like you ever see that movie. And it's not a pretty scene. What I'm going to say right now, but you ever see that movie, The Exorcist? <laughs> of course, with Linda Blair, yeah. the the child actress. Yeah, and and she, you know, she was possessed by the devil, and the devil made her, and the and the priest was throwing holy water on him. On her and you know splitting her skin and yeah. it was oh you talk about fights <laughs> and that was a that was a that was an ugly fight and trying to get the devil out of her and then all of a sudden the devil does the inside of Linda Blair the girl does this I can't quite do it I'm sure there's fans out there would love to see <laughs> me do it there's a few out there that would love to that would love to see Teddy Atlas's head go all the way around and spin <laughs> they they probably would. If there's not fans out there, and I love you, there's a few promoters out there. (laughs) There's a few people out there. They would love to see my head. Go ahead, Ted, try it. (laughs) See how far it can go. See see how far it can go. But Linda Blair, the actress who was possessed, her head spun around. It, It just spun around. And Robert put it up. And it was the closest thing to that. I mean, it was... He, his head, he got hit the right hand. I'll do it again. Boom. His head went like this. And then he came right back and went right after him. Wow. Wow. You talk about tough. You talk about determination, resiliency, overcoming, possessed. Mm-hmm. He was possessed. He was possessed. Of course, there was the little blemish in there, <laughs> which I don't, I don't, I'm, I, I, I've, I mention everything. Yeah. So people can never get mad. They can get mad at me because they like to get mad. Yeah. Right? The human beings are that way. They want their way. I get it. But you can't get mad at me where you say I take a favorite. Or I say something about one guy. I don't say it about a, uh-uh, uh-uh. I say it about everything if it's there to say. Whoever it is. It could be my brother and I will say it if it's there to be said. And- The only blemish on this fight, it's not a blemish because it was a great fight, but the only thing was where Panama Lewis, the trainer in the corner, in that round wanted attention. And in that round, he said, give me the other bottle, the one I mixed. And then, of course, people started conspiracy theories. What was in that bottle? (laughs) That a guy's head could go like this and then come back, and he could
0: keep going. What was in that bottle? What was in that bottle? That was between the 13th and the 14th round that he gave him that bottle.
1: Yeah, so, you know, and then listen, people thought that there was something to it later on because some years later, he did a, what can you say, just a disgusting, low-life, uh, just a horrible thing. You know, Panama Lewis, removed the to padding in the dressing room in Madison Square Garden of Louis Resto uh, in a fight with Billy Collins, who at the time was like 14-0, and 0, undefeated, stepping up in the garden. I was there. I was at the garden that night because that was the night that Roberto Duran, after no mass and everything he went through, trying to come back to greatness, get back to close to greatness again. That was the night that he fought the Bronx-born, who I knew very well, and God bless him, he's not with us anymore, Davey Moore, for the, I believe it was for the Junior Middleweight World Championship, and here's the great Roberto Duran coming back with everything that he was coming back from, you know, from the No Mas and everything else, he comes back and he wins the world title in Madison Square Garden and he beats Davey Moore. He stops Davey Moore. Wow. And and I'm at the garden. It's a full garden and on the cold feature of that, you know, on the undercard, the cold feature was undefeated Billy Collins versus Louis Resto. And nobody really thought much of it. I remember being in the ring or uh, being in, uh, near the ring and I remember when the fight ended Louis Resto won and You couldn't see it from the crowd, but if you were watching it on TV, you could have saw it, I guess, but Colin's face was, was swollen up as though he was like he got hit with a baseball bat. I mean, he was all swollen up. And, you know, you see that sometimes, but this didn't seem like it should have been from the kind of fight, you know. And Lewis Russell wasn't a puncher. He was a guy that never stopped punching, but he was—he was a guy that couldn't break an egg. Yeah, he wasn't a puncher. Tough guy, experienced guy, really was. But he, and all this damage. But the one thing I remember being there in the arena. I looked up and something was going on after the fight, like instead of going and sh- shake, shaking each other's hand, going to the corner waiting for the decision something was going on. You could see something was happening that wasn't right. And sure enough, it wasn't right. And Billy Collins, what happened was Billy Collins' father was his trainer or was in the corner with him. uh, One of his seconds if he wasn't his trainer. And when the fight's over with, usually you take the gloves off right away. But Pattamah Lewis in the corner of Russell didn't take the gloves off. That must have made, but that must have made Billy Collins' father think. And Billy Collins told him in between rounds at one point during the fight, the father was trying to urge him on, "Come on, Billy, you got to get going. What are you doing?" And he said, "Dad, every time I get hit, it's like I'm getting hit with the guy's knuckles. And you know, you're you're a trainer. You 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 don't let." soft thoughts weak thoughts debilitating thoughts losing thoughts penetrate your fighter as a trainer you throw them out of the corner you throw those thoughts out of the corner that's your job and so he said come on stop that get out there do what you gotta do but then when the fight was over and he saw the face and he sees and he remembers what the son told him and he sees the, glo- the gloves are still on and of course Billy Collins has his gloves off. So now they g- they come over to, you know, say good fight and Billy Collins' father grabs a hold of Resto and tries to hold- hide his gloves, like hide his hands. He grabs his hand and he shakes his hand and he feels his glove and there's nothing there. There's no padding. The fingers of Billy Collins' father go right to the skin and bones of Louis Resto's hand. And he starts yelling, screaming for the commission to come and confiscate the gloves. Something's wrong. Come here. And that's the havoc I saw. I saw this havoc, this chaos going on. Again, I didn't know what it was at the time, but I knew something was going on. And it turned out that sure enough, the trainer... Can't even call him a trainer. A trainer's supposed to be responsible. You know? The criminal, the guy that that did this was Fatima uh, Lewis. You know, just, uh, I mean, just, I mean, one of the worst, most disgraceful acts you could do. I mean, there's enough risk in that ring without doing crap like that. Yep. It's one of the most honorable things you can do is go face another man one-on-one. Go face another man and see who the best is. You're not supposed to do something like that. You can't do that. What's the honor in that? You can't do that. Yeah, you want to win, but you want to win the right way. By being the best. By facing what you have to face. That's that's what makes it special. That's what makes it a gladiator sport. Is that you behave like a gladiator. Mm-hmm. You behave like a fighter. That has rules and laws in their domain. Anyway. And principle. But anyway... He took the horse hair, back in those days they still used horsehair gloves and they took the horse hair, it was Everless gloves. They removed it, they made a slit in a glove and removed a lot of it. And uh, obviously Billy Collins was never the same. You know, and uh, a year later he he died in a car accident and his life had spiraled down downward and it led to that Mm -hmm. you know his career was over every bone in his face was broken and his career was over but anyway they terrible terrible thing but that night Roberto Duran took a step back to being great again you know out of the shadows yeah that he had been exiled to to uh knock out you know to knock out Davey Moore you know i I hope everybody enjoyed these uh these rounds because I feel like I just went <laughs> fourteen rounds. You know, it's funny I stopped at fourteen. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, what the significance to that is without knowing it, maybe maybe nothing. Maybe nothing. But maybe that a reminder that until you win 15 rounds, uh, you didn't know, you know, you the, that was the full distance. I mean, you can think of maybe it's made the sport safer by going 12, maybe. I hope it has. But it's probably taken away some people that would have been champions that their strength was going those extra rounds, finding a way. And I, I remember uh, Mike Weaver, Terrific puncher, had that body like a Donna statue. Uh, he was just a guy. He lost. He went twelve rounds with Holmes. Holmes knocked him out. Larry Holmes was a, a hell of a heavyweight fighter. You know, he doesn't get his due sometimes. But anyway, he knocked him out. Caught him an uppercut. I believe it was in the garden. I'm not sure. But anyway, Holmes knocks out Weaver, and Weaver was a guy with a bunch of losses on his record. You know, but. He was a good puncher, and even though he lost, he lost to the best he learned. It was part of the progression of advancing. And then he gets a chance to fight John Tate, who was an Olympian, I think a bronze medalist, and John Tate was undefeated, heavyweight champ of the world. And it was a real moment of a real-life Rocky moment, a real-life Rocky moment, Ken, where in the 15th round, way behind, Tate is winning big. He can't lose except if something crazy happens. Something crazy was about to happen. And with, I don't know how many seconds left in the 15th round, I think it was the 15th, he. Weaver hits him with left hook and Tate's out before he hits the canvas. Face first, like a giant oak tree. Bang. Face first. He falls. And a real live Rocky moment just happened. Only boxing can provide those. You know, like I say sometimes, life's not fair. But if you're tough enough, you're determined enough, you're prepared enough, you've worked hard enough, you've dreamed long enough, on one given night, you can get in that squared circle. You can walk up those steps and get in that ring. And you can make life fair. No matter what's happened in the past, no matter who your parents were, where you came from in the world, what you had, what you didn't have in life, on one given night, you can make everything fair. There's no sport like it. On one given night, you can get in that ring, and you can be called champion of the world. Wow. And on that night, Weaver, with all the losses and everything else that I just described, with seconds left in the fifteenth round, way behind in his scorecard, he lands a left hook and he made life fair. He made everything right.
0: Well, that was excellent. We've given some. We've given everyone, or you've given everyone, a lot of content to uh, absorb here. We've also given you forty-two minutes of. Uh, the top rounds ever 14 3-minute rounds 42 minutes of uh, bonus content for the corona quarantine and if that isn't enough and you'll enjoy Teddy's stories check out his audiobook Atlas from the Streets to the Ring a son struggle to become a man available on audible.com you got anything before we say goodbye teddy yeah i got something for you i i
1: can't give it to you but i can think about you and that's the same thing out there now with this going on with the virus and the quarantine. Even if you can't give something to somebody, you can make a phone call. You can tell them you're thinking about them. You can reach out that way. And um, so I'm doing that. I brought you a Diet Coke <laughs> because I know that you love Diet
0: Coke. It's my vice. So it's here for you. You're the best. When we
1: get, when we get past these times.
0: Sounds like a deal. Well, guys, thanks for being with us. I hope everyone enjoyed the show. Um, If you've got suggestions for future content, obviously with no boxing going on, we're here. We'll deliver the content, whatever you guys want. If you have ideas for future shows, please feel free to hit us on all the social channels. And um, with that, say, Teddy, stay safe. Be careful in Staten Island. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Take care. You too, Ken.